So welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast. Tara, hello. Hello. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about produce and gardening, but more specifically, if you've ever been fed up, outraged, disappointed, insert any other number of, of feelings you might have with the produce that, that you're finding in your local grocery store, this is the podcast to listen to. That's a great intro, and I think you're right. Uh, this is – now, this could – this we say this often, that this could be a whole entire podcast, but you could have a whole podcast of hundreds of episodes just talking about gardening, produce, stuff like that. So if you really like this episode, we will do more of them for you. That is a promise. And I could go on and on forever about produce and gardening and everything now, the caveat here is I am not an expert gardener, nor am I a professional chef, nor am I a professional wood carver or carpenter or all other things, but I know a lot about all of these subjects. So I am, what would you call me, Tara? A gym of all trades. Or a renaissance man. A renaissance man. Yeah. You, you're not a beekeeper though. And I always wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to get into that. Uh, that's something that we're not going to discuss on this episode. That's a whole another uh, can of worms like that you can open up if you want to go down that route and do it. But doing things yourself offers not just better, like you won't just have better tomatoes by growing your own tomatoes. I think you get a lot more satisfaction too. Would you agree, Tara? That is true. Do you want to back up and talk about what kind of led us to have this conversation? Yeah. So the main impetus for this conversation was the pesto trapanese. That's right. You want to describe it or do you want me to? I can talk about the experience because for those of you who don't know, I'm usually the one who was doing the grocery shopping for Sip and Feast. We don't often use delivery services or anything like that just because we want to know that we're picking out the ingredients that we need, that they look a certain way, that they'll look great in photographs, really always wanting to put the best possible ingredients in front of our audience. So we were going to film the pesto trapanese, which for those of you who don't know, they're one of the components of that recipe are tomatoes, right? Roma tomatoes. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it could really be. You just. I just wouldn't use beef steak. Mm -hmm. Because why? Do you know why, Tara? Too many seeds. It's not the seeds, really. It's there's too much juice. Too much juice. So okay. If the juice to the pulp ratio mm -hmm. is out of out of whack, so you want to use a paste tomato, which okay. is a plum, Roma, San Marzano, etc. Right. But cherry tomatoes also work well. Okay, that makes sense. So. Jim had had given me the list of, of ingredients that we needed to get. I picked out the tomatoes, Roma tomatoes. They looked fantastic in the store. They were bright red. They weren't too firm. They looked perfect. Well, get them home. We're in the middle of filming the video, and Jim is blanching the tomatoes. And lo and behold, the tomatoes that looked good on the outside were crap on the inside, right? Yeah, they were really bad. And I will just back up and say, and I'm not, this isn't, I'm not trying to criticize you, Tower, but they weren't red. I would say they were on their way towards being red, but they weren't that real red. And that real red is basically when it's, the tomato is almost like you can grab it and crush it. Like all you have to do is a little bit of force and you grab it and it will 
turned to mush almost. So these were these were hard mm-hmm. still. So these were the most red of the tomatoes that I could find. And that's what this episode is about. So this is a consistent problem for for us and you know other people are going to have varying experiences some a lot worse than us. Where we live there's um there's a lot of high-end grocery stores. You have a lot of competition here. But not not just the regular chain stores. You have Whole Foods. You have Uncle Giuseppe's, which mm-hmm. we'll get into their produce later, which isn't good. And you have uh, Wegmans that's going to be opening up pretty soon. Well, that's not until next year. I'm really looking forward to that. There's going to have that means there'll be three of them within a few miles of each other. Yeah. Well, we also have Wild by Nature. We yeah. have Stop and Shop, and we have Meat Farms. Yeah, so Meat Farms is a good place if you're from Long Island, but it's, you know, hit or miss. They definitely cater to more of a value-conscious buyer instead of... Mm-hmm. Some of the times the stuff is really good. Yeah. I'll go there if I need to find very specific ingredients that I know a lot of other grocery stores won't have. The issue is that so many times I'll be shopping for ingredients for either a YouTube video or for a recipe... And I'll have to go to probably four different grocery stores to get all of the ingredients that I need just for one recipe. Four is a stretch, but I know often you're doing two and it's frustrating. I'm Tara, you know, this is a team effort here. Without Tara, I would not be able to, I would have never gotten to where I am. There was a time when before she came in and joined me, it was re- getting really difficult and it was a lot of stress on her managing, you know, managing her full-time job. But now certain things we thought that would make become easier haven't really. And that one of them is we probably should be using more of the delivery service, or we might want to have an assistant who does the shopping for mm-hmm. us. The problem is, is when you have a delivery service buying groceries for you, they don't know that you want maybe the most ripe tomato, the juiciest tomato possible, or the freshest looking basil. And who knows what's even going on behind the scenes. You go to a Whole Foods now, and what I mean now is probably within any time in the last two or three years. And there are more shoppers for delivery service than there are actual shoppers in the store. Do you agree with that statement? 100%. In fact, I was just at Whole Foods a little while ago. And not only are they in the store, but there was a, a woman, she was a shopper, and she was going through the parking lot and she was managing three fully loaded shopping carts. Yeah. So, and then another person came out. So it's, you're having to navigate around the shoppers that work there, not only in the store, but also in the parking lot too. So it's a business for, for, it's like, I guess, big business now for, you know, some people are trying to arbitrage it. I guess the woman has three cars or or whatnot and probably has her own assistance. But where I was going with it is, you know, Whole Foods might be telling these shoppers, get, take the farthest back date, the worst date, save the better dated stuff for our customers that come in the store. I don't know what kind of shenanigans they're pulling, but I, there are a couple instances where you can never get parsley from the ordering service. Yeah, garlic yeah. is always, it's like they're grabbing bad garlic from the back and leaving mm-hmm. the good stuff for the other customers. You know, it's a little bit of a tangent there talking about those delivery services, but this is all everything. It's about just how can you get the best produce for yourself to make the best recipes possible? We, we know you're not taking photos. We know you don't need a 
you know, super sharp, great looking thumbnail. But we also know you want to make it look really, really good and desirable for not just yourself, but for your family members. Well, forget about forget about look. I mean, what about taste? Well, I mean, looks and taste go hand in so hand. So they do. They do. I'm not saying that looks aren't important. But I will say that when you made the pesto trapanese, the tomatoes that you used, they weren't the best tasting either. They tasted like nothing. Right. So what we did, we made it again. And this time we used the cherry tomatoes and it tasted so much better. All right. So tell me what, why was the trapanese, why was the pesto a la trapanese way better not the YouTube video, the when you made it by yourself. So it was definitely the the quality of the tomatoes. I used, the first time I, I made it, I used canned tomatoes, canned datterini, which are small tomatoes, right? Yeah. So yeah. I used those. But in addition to that, I went outside and I grabbed all the basil and the herbs from the garden, which you did do the first time you made it. But in my opinion, the difference was the tomatoes. They were not good from the store. A massive, massive difference. So I want to give you a little bit of advice here. And this might be counter to what you read often on the internet. We like to dispel myths and, in our opinion, inaccuracies that are tropes that are just everywhere and everywhere wrong. You'll often see you need fresh tomatoes for this recipe and that fresh tomatoes are so much better. Fresh tomatoes are not so much better. Often fresh tomatoes are downright inferior to a good canned tomato. Because if you're not picking at maximum ripeness, when it's like about to fall apart in your hands, where where you could just like take a bite and eat it and enjoy it right in, right in your garden without even bringing it inside, that's the optimal tomato. But no normal person who works a full-time job is really going to be able to keep up with that. And then if you go to the supermarkets, it's hit or miss. Sometimes you get that really, really great tomato. Sometimes you go to a farmer's market, you get a really good tomato. Maybe they got a whole bunch of heirloom tomatoes. But for the most part, and especially for 365 days a year, you will be well served using a high quality canned tomato. And there are dozens of great brands. We've spoken about them in the past. So, you know, pick your favorite. Wherever you live in the country, you're going to have different brands at your supermarket stocks. But that's going to be your best bet for something like that. And Tara, you noticed just a massive change when you did that. Absolutely. 100%. Now, we have the cherry tomatoes. We have the delicious cherry tomatoes in our garden mm-hmm. now. So that would be... That would if be they're even picked, better. Yeah, if they're picked at peak ripeness, mm-hmm. that would probably be an that would probably be an upgrade, right? Definitely. Even on the best canned tomatoes. Absolutely. But that's tough. That is. That's tough. Because you have to stay on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. The other negative experience we had recently was when you were making the pasta alla norma. And I had gone to two grocery stores. I had gotten eggplant from one store and then they didn't look the best. They weren't super shiny. So I had gone to another grocery store, bought eggplants that were firm, shiny, looked, again, looked great on the outside. And then what happened? Yeah, it was really bad. Eggplant is one of those things that you're you're really not going to find good eggplant in the store for the most part. Eggplant goes bad almost immediately from once it's cut from the stem. Like even in our garden now, and I have about 100 eggplants because I grew so much this year, and they're all various stages in growth now. If I cut one in the morning 
I should be using it that day. Really, I should be cutting it like an hour before I use it. But getting back to the eggplant in the store, they supposedly the best way to keep your eggplant is to keep it in about a 60, 62 degree temperature room, which is what supermarket most supermarkets do. That's why when you go into a supermarket, it's absolutely freezing. That's the optimal optimal way to store it. If you put it in your refrigerator, it's too cold. And sometimes eggplant in stores will be frozen for shipment, which is what I suspect. You bought it from two different places. One of them was. Mm -hmm. That's right. The one that looked better was not good when you cut it open. And you were filming too. You know, if you have an eagle eye and you look at that video, you know, the magic of editing, but I subbed in the new eggplant. And purposely for that video, I we had six eggplants because I really suspected that I was going to have a problem. And lo and behold, I did. That was filmed before the eggplant grew in uh, in the garden. And we have, I think I have 14 eggplant plants this year. And depending on, you know, conditions of, of the summer, you know, of the season, you'll get, oh, I don't know, probably 20 eggplants per plant, maybe a little less. Sometimes you get bad. It's a bad year and you only get a few. But, um, you know, if you're in, especially if you're in the ground or in a raised bed, you'll get the maximum growth out of that plant. Yeah. So I think all of this is kind of helping to build the case to have your own garden if if you have the means. If you live in a house, like if you have property, mm -hmm. that's, this, you know, for city people, I, I doubt a city person is like somebody who lives in an apartment is going to be growing eggplant. Right. They, they, now they might grow cherry tomatoes. Yeah, there they, are things that they can grow. Yeah, herbs. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're going to be growing eggplant unless they have access to the roof. Right. Which, you know, you might. You, you really might because you know, people living in the city, and I know this, uh, they tend to, and this, is, this isn't like lifelong city people, but these are people that, you know, they grew up in the suburbs, they get a good job, then they want to live in the city and they want to experience that for a couple of years. Some people will experience it for 15 years before they finally move back out to the suburbs when they have kids, but they'll have everything done for them. They'll have their, they'll drop off their laundry in the morning and they'll go pick it up. You know, they'll go get every piece of fresh produce from the farmer's markets or the really expensive specialty stores. Um, what was the name of that place on the Upper East Side that we went into like one time? It was like, it was so expensive and it was, I mean, and this was before things were even expensive. Was it Zabar's? Was it no, one of those? no. It might not even be around anymore. Yeah. It starts with a D. Oh, I know what you're talking what? about. Dean and DeLuca? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they think, like truffles behind the yeah, glass. They're you know? still there. Yeah. They're for like ultra wealthy people that live on the Upper mm -hmm. East Side. They're like, I'll take a... I'll take that $3,000 truffle tonight for my mm -hmm. dinner party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. A lot of people will do that uh, who, who live in the city in that capacity. So you might have access then to that roof. A lot of people probably aren't growing. Now, are you going to do that? I don't know. I think gardening kind of goes hand in hand with not just su suburban living. It goes hand in hand with rural living. Oh, 100%. It's a way of life. Yeah. But, you know, depending on where you live in what suburb... You might be on a half an acre, an acre. And, you know, we. I had a massive garden in our uh, Farmingdale house, and that was only a quarter acre we were on. Probably had two-thirds of the yard as a garden. Yeah. You know, maybe one-third, one-third. That, that was a large, impressive garden. Yeah. So, so I've been gardening for my whole life, but I'm not an expert in gardening. 
Like I have to consult the internet and I try to find people that know what they're talking about, like agriculture sites or extensions, stuff like that is the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. And Jim, you said in, I don't know if it was the Ala Norma video, but you said you said something that, that struck me, and I know a few folks have commented on that as well. You said that a garden isn't something you have. A garden is something that you do. You want to elaborate on what you meant by that? Yeah, people liked when I said that, and I really mean that. It's not to show off. You don't bring people over and go, look at my garden. Like, nobody gives a crap. The garden, though, will become a jungle and will be in ruins if you're not out there every day taking care of it. And it's not like five minutes taking care of it. That's the God's honest truth. I I remember when I went to Mike G from Pro Home Cook's house. I hope he's okay with me saying this, but I asked him because he told me he had a big garden. He's, he asked, he was like, he's like, do you know how to, are you into this? And, and I was like, yeah, you know, I've been doing it my whole life. So he's like, oh, okay. You know, like, I think that like took him off guard. But then we went into the garden um, be, you know, before we were filming and I said to him, I said, I said, are you do managing all this yourself? And he looked at me, he goes, no, nah. he goes, I have help. And because, I mean, it would be a full-time job. Mm -hmm. He, I mean, the garden he had was, he probably had, I don't know, every, every single thing. Yeah. And it was on a large property and it, there would be no way that he could take care of that and then make videos and everything else. That would be a full-time job taking care of that. It was it was that big. And, you know, our garden right now is is giving me issues. With the rain we've had, we've had seven inches of rain twice in a matter of a month, which is unheard of, absolutely unheard of. Set records both times. So, like, we lost our whole zucchini with that, and tomatoes haven't been doing well this year. But, you know, then other things are doing great, like eggplant. And normally eggplant don't do too well with that much rain. So I'm like, you know, it's... um. It's a constant battle, the garden. You have to be on top of things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's also, so you say it's a battle. Others might take a more optimistic approach and say it's something that helps them stay more in touch with the environment that's around them. Um, yes, you might be battling Mother Nature while you're doing it, but it's making you more keenly aware of those things that are surrounding you, which in turn can detract you from less desirable things like looking at your phone wow. or, you know, just doing any number of things that are more technologically related. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I agree with that. And the, <laughs> the ultimate goal with having, having the garden is to get outdoors, to be with nature to have produce that you can save a lot of money on, and that produce is better than any supermarket or any farmer's market for that matter. You are with nature. You're dirty. You know, you're on your knees. You have problems. You have a heavy wind the night before. A lot of plants get knocked down. You got to go get more steaks, tie them up again. Um, you got to keep the bunnies. The bunnies, yeah. I, so we have in our garden all like, I put a uh, temporary fencing around it and I uh, took a bar of Irish spring and I shaved it all around the garden. And supposedly, I mean, I, I read this online, so who knows if it works. Supposedly the rabbits don't like it. So, you know, we, we have a high fence, so we don't knock on wood. We don't have deer in our backyard. 
um, which deer are an increasingly really bad problem here in Long Island. It's uh, it's gotten to the point where a lot of towns aren't doing anything. They're not they're not calling the herd, and it's getting out of control. So yeah, this is, it's these are all things that a suburban gardener will have to worry about. Then you have pests like. You know, I suppose you could have rats. Uh, we have a ton of birds in our yard. They've been just pecking the eggplant every day because there's like these holes in the eggplant. And I was like, what's, what is this? And so I was like thinking it, that can't be like, you know, I was thinking is a rabbit. Is it a rat? Like, like they're incisors, but no, it was a bird because mm-hmm. I've, I've seen birds back there. Yeah. And then you got to deal with the, the tomato worms for your tomatoes and you know, parsley, parsley worms. worms and there's, there's a whole lot. And you know, you could do soil tests, make sure your soil's okay. Normally, if you just grow in good compost, you'll be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And Tara's not into it as much as I am. I'm kind of the one who does more of the gardening, right? Yeah. So you do. Um, although I did help you plant quite a bit this year, and I really did enjoy just having my hands in the dirt and being distracted from some of those other things in life that sometimes you just don't want to think about. It's so good. And it's good to get dirty. It is. It's, it's, it's good to get dirty and stick your hand in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Stick your hands in the dirt. Wipe your wipe your face, the sweat off your face. Get some dirt on your face. Yeah, throw away that hand sanitizer. Yeah, forget that hand sanitizer. Let your kids play in the dirt. Let them go out there and garden with you too. Uh, we've, we've become a nation of just like weak people and and not that gardening is going to make you strong, but it's going to make you, I, I guess, maybe appreciate the food you're eating more. Like the first year you do it, you're going to want to tell your friends and your family members, you're going to be like, hey, look, I, you know, I got, I built two raised beds. And then, and then they'll be like, yeah, whatever. And then they'll see like, you didn't take care of your garden and it went to hell and you got like three tomatoes out of your whole, out of the whole summer. But then like year two, they'll start taking you a little bit more seriously. Year three, they'll be like, wow, you know, Bob or, you know, Susie's got this amazing garden and we go over there and she gives us all this stuff all the time. And then you give it to your neighbors. You know, like we gave basil to our neighbor the other day and, you know, we'll have a ton of eggplant if she wants it. It makes you feel good. That's what I'm trying to say. You get this like this satisfaction that's hard to get in a lot of other venues, I think. It's so true. And I, I keep going back to the, the the pesto trapanese recipe because I have, since you filmed that video, I have made it about three times in like a two week period. And that's, for me, that's, that's a lot of times to make one recipe. Yeah. We're always right? moving on to the next recipe. Yeah. So I kept saying like, oh, I, I, I love making it because I feel like I'm shopping in my backyard. Like I'm going outside and I'm grabbing the basil and the mint and the parsley and, you know, the tomatoes. And it just feels so good. Why why do I keep wanting to make this? And do you know I actually did an internet search to try and understand, like, am I crazy? Or like, why do I get this feeling? So there's actually evidence. It's called Harvest High. (laughs) So it's something that um, when you pick something that you harvested, it releases dopamine. 
Yeah. Okay. And apparently it's evolved over, you know, the 200,000 years that humans were doing hunting and gathering. So if back in the day, if you spotted a berry or, or something that you knew you were going to use for food, it would give you um, a dopamine rush. And the same thing happens today when we harvest our, our vegetables or our fruit or actually the same thing does happen um, when we find something to shop for in the store. So it's actually the same type of release that's used for shop, like people who are addicted to shopping. That's interesting. It because is. I actually feel, and I, I have an immense feeling like that when I see the plants, like right now, if you go out into the garden, and I I really should like overlay video here of, of, of some of the garden picks. But if you look at the eggplant right now, it's just... I mean, some people might be like, oh, I hate eggplant. Well, then it's not going to it's not gonna do it for you. But uh, the eggplant is the most successful uh, of the thing that we grew this year. Peppers are doing all right now, too. They've really turned the corner. Some of them. A few mm -hmm. of them haven't. We planted a big variety of peppers this year. We did jalapenos in the front, did a couple different bell peppers in the back, cubanellas. Uh, did we do long hots? I don't know if we did them. I think we did. Yeah, so we yeah. have a bunch of them, and some of them are just like not doing anything, and then others are like the bell peppers took off. Mm -hmm. We have one plant has like twelve big mm -hmm. bell peppers on it. So um, I go out there and I look at it, and it's just exciting. You know, I got I really got the high you're talking about. This was probably twenty years ago when I think initially, maybe like second year of gardening. And I grew cantaloupes that year. And I never grow cantaloupes. Do you yeah. remember when I grew those cantaloupes? Yeah, yeah. And you grew strawberries too. And those were other, another strange thing that you never really grew. Okay, I don't like strawberries. I'll, I'll go into that in mm -hmm. a second. But um, cantaloupe, and I think I grew watermelon too, but they were like kind of like mm -hmm. burpee hybrid ones. So they were smaller. But I remember when that first cantaloupe or watermelon started growing and I was just like in awe. Every day I would go out and just... It would just be like an inch bigger, and <laughs> I, it was just such a good feeling. Um, strawberries, I don't like. Strawberries, if you do grow, it'll take about two or three seasons before you're starting to get like a good yield. Uh, normally, the first season, you put strawberries down, really whatever variety of plant, it will not give you much at all. You just have to wait. It's not like apples. I think apples are like every other season, but where you get where you get your yields. But strawberries, I don't like them because they're in the ground with a lot of dirt and they're close. So you get a lot of pest like invaders. Oh, yeah. So it's there's a lot of fighting the whole time. So if you don't want to use regular pesticides, which I don't blame you if you don't want to use them because I don't want to use them. I use BT and neem oil, which are organic pesticides. So they're still pesticides and especially BT is still a pesticide. But I'll just say again, the strawberries, it takes a lot And versus when you go to the store and you get like a nice batch of strawberries that are pretty good. Yeah. I will blueberries say, are never good in a store. Well, you can find good blueberries sometimes. But going back to the strawberries, I will say that just recently I had the best strawberries I've ever had in my life. And those were from Costco and those were like hydroponically grown. Okay. Do you remember those? I do. They were delicious. They were so good. Costco produce stuff often is bad. I agree. And and I used to like it. And I think it was like 15 years ago. I, we bought apples and I was like, these apples are horrible. Mm -hmm. They have no taste. So then I was like, okay, that's a fluke. 
And then we tried again yeah. and then again and other stuff. And I'm just like, I'm not buying any produce from Costco anymore. And I recommend Costco. That's not true. We, we do buy the produce in the cold section. So we buy the broccoli, uh, the broccoli florets. We'll buy the mm-hmm. uh, Brussels sprouts. We'll buy the asparagus, yeah, the green beans. Actually, all the, come to think of it, all the stuff in the cold section is good. That's all the mushrooms, good. yeah. But the other stuff, like the big bags of lemons, you know, you buy a big bag of lemons, there's one bad lemon, yeah, and then before you know whole, it, yeah. the fu- the mold spreads to to all the lemons. Yeah. So the garlic too, it's like tiny little garlic that has the smallest cloves. And yeah, you get like five pounds of it. Yeah, great. Now I can't even, it, it all <laughs> rots. And I just, no, I'll just buy a couple couple heads of garlic when I need it. And yeah. and I don't grow garlic. No. Yeah. Like I don't really grow much thing, much produce in the ground. Like I don't grow onions, uh, though I have in the past. Uh, I don't grow potatoes, though I have uh, beets. Carrots. Carrot, carrots I don't grow because they're so cheap. Mm-hmm. And they're fine. Yeah. I try to grow the stuff that's not that good uh, in the store, and then you get really, you get a wow factor when you grow it yourself. Like, it's much better. So, Jim, I know a few minutes ago you talked about letting your kids play in the dirt and getting your hands in the soil and getting dirty. And, you know, that was actually something else that I wanted to learn a little bit more about. Um, because I always hear people who garden say that it's very therapeutic for them. So I was like, oh, was there any sort of, you know, scientific reason for that? So I did find an article and it's explained that there is a certain bacteria that's in soil that when you come in contact with it, it triggers serotonin release. So there's actual scientific reason for it. There is. Interesting. There is, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, the the article also cites a number of other benefits of getting into the soil, you know, especially for for children. Children who are exposed to soil at an early age have less allergies, asthma, and even mental health problems. So less mental health problems. Less yeah. less. Yeah. Yes. Less allergies, asthma, and less mental health problems. So I thought that was really interesting too. And I'll link these these studies in the show notes. In the show notes. Yeah. Um, they're from, I think one was from the University of Colorado Boulder, and then another one was a university that's that's in Australia. But you know, there's a ton of articles out there about, you know, the therapeutic benefits of yeah, I mean, having a garden. Honestly, it makes sense. I can't imagine anybody making the opposite argument that gardening is bad for your mental health. And like, I mean, maybe it's bad for a farmer that is in debt because he bought too many machines. And I can't imagine the it not being a good thing playing in the soil and doing that. I mean, yeah. getting your kids away from video games mm-hmm. and TikTok, which... You know, I said it in the past. I'll say it again. I, you know, I have posted a few things on TikTok recently just to kind of test the water. But I, I, I truly do hate that platform. I, I, I do, and I hate the way it makes me feel. I hate the way it makes my kids act. I hate the way it makes just the random fourteen or fifteen year old act. I, I know I sound like a get off my lawn type of person, but. I don't know. I can't help it. I and I I can't be that get off my lawn type of person because all we do is fool around with tech all day. Do you agree, Tara? I understand where you're coming from because I too don't enjoy the way I feel after I've consumed TikTok content. 
And I think I think part of the problem is that it's so quick and you get almost lost. They're triggering when you're your doing dopamine. It. They're triggering your dopamine response. Mm-hmm the curve very quickly. And I, I believe if you believe that, like you you can be depleted. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, that's when you finally, two hours later, log off. That's when you need to go stick your hands in the soil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing about short content, like, are you learning anything? Now you could say, Jim, well, my, I'm not trying to learn anything. Well, that's fine. But a lot of people are pushing content that is purporting to teach you, like cooking. You're not really going to learn too much even watching our 10 or 12 minute videos. You're really going to learn the most by cooking yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where the real learning it. happens. Apl- applying what you've seen and and executing it. Yeah, but I'm anti. Like I'm taking a firm stand on it. This is how I am. So I wanted to talk briefly also about the the meal that you made last night. You made stuffed eggplant, right? And you picked the eggplants from the garden. You took the herbs from the garden and the tomatoes and, and pretty much every every part of that yeah. was there. And just, I think, the satisfaction of eating food that was grown by you was very comforting and, and, and rewarding. Let me tell you, these this, this stuffed eggplant was a home run. I didn't, it was, it's not a recipe from someone. In fact, I did do on Patreon, it was a while back, I did a stuffed eggplant in the traditional manner, like a Sicilian one, where you make slits kind of in an opposite manner. You make, basically you cut your eggplant in half lengthwise, and then you make slits, and then you stuff your stuffing inside of it, and it had like cacciacavallo and couple other um, typical ingredients, and then you tie it with ropes around there, then you would sear it, and then you would braise it in sauce. And it just, it's okay. It's hard because a lot of times the eggplant stays hard. You have to keep cooking it for like two hours. So I was like, let me just, let me still do a Sicilian style stuffed eggplant, but let me just use my idea, Mm -hmm. not somebody else's idea. So I was like, all right, how can I do this in the quickest manner? So I've been cooking eggplant forever, so I know the the trouble with it. And I, to be honest, Tara, eggplant probably gives novice cooks the hardest, it's it's probably the most difficult for novice cooks to use. Yeah, I agree. Of the big four. Yeah. The, the big Italian four, mm-hmm. it's the eggplant. Yeah. The first time I made pasta alla norma, it came out terrible because I didn't fry the eggplant the right way. And you'd, you'd think like, oh, it's just frying eggplant. It's so easy. No. Yeah. It's really not. And, and there's tricks. Like you can microwave it. I some A few people in the comments were like, America's Test Kitchen told me to microwave it. And I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, go go for it. Use the hack if you want. But in the end, you just got to cook it enough. Eggplant is either cooked properly or it's bad. It's There's, there's no ins and out of it. So anyway, what I did with this stuffed one, I cut them in half lengthwise. Then I made a lot of X's just cross-hatching on the inside of it, like into the flesh without going through. Because remember, I'm stuffing these, so I don't want to puncture them. And then olive oil, both sides, and then put them flat side down, you know, so the cut side down on parchment paper. And then I roasted it. While I was roasting, I made like a nice little sauce with, with cherry tomatoes from the garden, onions, mint, breadcrumbs, garlic, a whole bunch of good stuff. Mm -hmm. And then let it cool for a minute and then tossed in scamorza cheese, which 
If you haven't had Scamorza cheese, it's delicious. I recommend you uh, go out and buy it right now. Go out and buy it if you can. It's so good. And we just used it for the riso, riso al forno recipe, which is a baked rice dish that we made. So I had the Scamorza. So I was just like, let me reach into the fridge and do this because I wanted to try to do it with everything I had on hand. And we put some pecorino in there too. But anyway, added that into the stuffing. Then when the eggplants came out, I was able to let them cool for a minute, then scoop all that, all the inside flesh, put it in that stuffing, mix it together, put it all back in there, and then bake them. And let me tell you, oh, but I forgot the two most important, the two most Sicilian ingredients, Tara, I didn't mention them. The raisins and the pine nuts. Yeah, the raisins and the pine nuts. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's what makes it Sicilian. And I guess if you want to be real Sicilian, you would do uh, currants, right? Or golden raisins. Mm -hmm. But I just used regular raisins. That's right. Soaked in water to make them soft before you do it. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. It's on the site already. So go make it. Uh, don't know if there'll be a YouTube video on it because I don't know if it's going to, if, if enough people are going to want to see that. So I was just telling Tara, if you're with us to this point, you're a true fan and we love you and we appreciate you listening. You can notice when I started talking about the stuffed eggplant, my heart, like my, my speech started getting a little bit more animated. And so my own heart and my pulse probably quickened because when I'm talking about food like that, I think that's probably when I'm in my most natural state, Tara. Yeah, you get the most excited when you're talking about food and, and cooking food specifically. There are so many people that have gone to culinary school that call themselves a chef and they work five years in the business, six, seven, 10, and they hate it. They hate it because they might've been forced into the business by their parents. Maybe they went to a BOCES program or you know, uh, that's BOCES in, in New York. They have that or they don't want to do it. And then, you know, they're quote unquote a chef, but then you got these home cooks and, you know, I consider myself one of them, though I guess I'm not technically a home cook. I'm probably a little bit more than that. Uh, it doesn't get old for me. I love to find the new flavors, the new combinations and like making that stuffed eggplant last night. Mm -hmm. By the way, I learned this, the, what you call a cook in a restaurant, you call somebody a cook versus a chef is what Tara? What's the distinction? It doesn't matter if they went to culinary school. What is the distinction? So I believe the chef is the one who creates the recipes, who has the ideas, and the cook is the one who executes. That's right. So you could be the fastest line cook in the world, and you could be the slowest line cook in the world, but you can come up with all the ideas and know how the flavors combine. That's the chef. I found that interesting. That now, interesting. some people might say that's not, Jim, that's not correct. It's, but it, but it is because you can find so many examples of like go to any deli in Long Island and watch how quickly the person in the back can make a hundred egg sandwiches. They're not a chef. They're just really good at like a rep re repetitive thing. Yeah. So I thought, I found that interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'm a chef then. I can combine anything. Well, don't, Name yourself that. I do believe you have to complete culinary school to, to call yourself a chef. I feel like I, I feel like, I almost feel like I have to do this <laughs> just just for these like these idiot commenters who are like, "He's not a, you're not a chef." You know, I'm just gonna go to culinary school and I'm just gonna work at our friend's restaurant for like six months <laughs> and then I'm just gonna call, be like, "Chef Jim is back." <laughs> 
just to just to I don't know to appease them. Believe it or not, Google is such they have this thing called Eat. So it's experience uh, authority and transparency. I think, or is that is that what it even stands for? Tara's going to look it up, but they basically want people who are talking about a thing online to have the credentials. Now, I understand where when you're talking about, say, uh, medicine, that you probably want to get advice from a doctor. What What is it, Tara? So it's EAT, E-E-A-T, and it's experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. That's it. So now if you go to culinary school or you go to be a say you're a dietitian you go to dietitian school or whatnot you have a better chance to rank so this is like SEO you rank like meaning like your recipes will be discovered so if you're if you're peddling like diet advice a dietitian now again you could you could be like Jim well I, I do want to only take diet advice from a dietitian yeah but I think where you can see the problem with this is with the food. Yes. Big time. Mm-hmm. Big time. So that's a problem. This is endemic to Google, which is just a problem in general. You know, it's they're they're a behemoth of a company and they you know, they can't satisfy everybody all the time. But I, I find it interesting. Maybe I will have to go to culinary school I think to get you my should. eat up. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim we talked a little bit about what folks can do if they live in a more urban environment, right? They don't have access to a yard. What are some of the best vegetables, herbs, etc., that someone could plant in like a little window garden? Let's say they don't have a balcony to even go out on. What would you put in a window garden? And I know this is be obvious to many of you, but it to a lot of people, it won't. If you have, if you plant in a five-gallon container a cherry tomato plant, that plant will get larger than if you plant that same exact cherry tomato plant in a one-gallon container. The roots can only grow so large. Plant the plant will not be able to grow larger than larger than the the sur- the soil that it can go into that it can that it can root. I mean, I think it makes common it's common sense when you think about it, but. So if you do go that route and you have a smaller pot, you can do cherry tomatoes inside. Mm-hmm. You know, you need enough sun. That's the thing. Like tomatoes need a ton of sun and they need warm, you know, so the soil has to be a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep your, your house a little warm. I've never successfully have done cherry tomatoes inside, but I've heard people have. Uh, one that is much easier though is to do herbs inside. Yeah. So I would just get clean dirt though. That mm-hmm. I would recommend clean dirt. And I like de- not when you say when you say clean dirt, you mean dirt that's not from outside. Yes, I mean you can actually buy technically clean dirt. I think it's like UV ray blasted, mm-hmm. so there's like no bugs or any like nematodes or anything in it. So that might be the best bet. I mean, because if you take you know if you bring your basil pot, if we bring our basil pot, our massive pot inside yeah. right now, we're gonna get a lot of bugs. Yeah, there's a lot Ooh. of stuff in the dirt. No, yeah, none of that. Yeah. But anyway, that's what we'll do. But you would probably want, if you're, you know, if you're in America, you want to have the the, the herbs in a west-facing window. 
Okay, that's uh, good to know. East, east, you know, th- I mean, think about it. Sunrises in the east, sets in the west. I always think you, you know, just as a general rule, you should know like which way your house is facing at all times. Like, so when when a contractor comes over, you're like, yeah, that's the east side of my house. That's the west side. So if you plant your plants on the east side in an east facing window, you're only going to get sun until twelve o'clock. Once that sun goes over your house, you're not going to get enough sun. So. Then it will continue moving by about 1231. Now, this is all in the summer, but it'll change a little bit, you know, in the winter. Sun passes over, and then you will have sun the rest of the day until sunset, and that will be enough to grow your basil. Right. And that is probably more for where we're located, because if you go further south, the sun is actually out for less time. Yes, that's why I didn't want to get into this. I didn't do well in earth science. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I know I'm, I, I can only give accurate information about the mm-hmm. Northeast. Yeah, I know. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So that's good. So that, that herbs are a good thing to to have if you have a window garden. But I wanted to say that I think the next best thing to, if you if you cannot grow your own, your, your own stuff, if you cannot have a garden, um, the next best thing is is to go to a farmer's market, try and find a farmer's market that's near you because that produce will be vastly superior to, I think, anything you're going to find in a grocery store. I agree with that. I mean, we have a farmer's market local to in the town we we live in, and they they do a good job. They have about four uh, far, farmers there, right? They have with, all yes, other with, stuff. With produce, they have, I think, three or four farms there every every week. All the farmers markets in Long Island, well, I can't speak for all of Long Island, but definitely for Suffolk County, it's the same vendors going to because they have them on different days, so it's almost like coordinated like there there'll be a pick this is pickle guy. What what's the name of that pickle uh play uh place? The Perfect Pickle. So the Perfect Pickle. For those of you in Long Island, you probably know the Perfect Pickle. Uh they have they have an actual storefront, right? Tower? I don't know. Okay. But anyway, they're at all these farmers markets and they have all the big barrels and you could get all different types of pickles. And then there is um Blue Duck Bakery, which is out in Greenport. That's in the North Fork of Long Island, very far out, almost to the end. The end is Orient Point. That's on the North Fork. On the South Fork, the end is Montauk. But anyway, Blue Duck Bakery, they bring their beautiful bread there. You can get it. It you've seen it at Port Jeff, you've seen her at Setauket, mm-hmm. you've seen her at Stony Brook. The Stony Brook and Setauket both have uh, farmers markets. Same, it's the same. It's same Three Village. Thing. It's the Three does Village. Does Smithtown have a market. farmers market? I, I think don't know. it does. Saint James do. does too. Yeah, I think so. Most of these uh, places, most towns or a town over from you will probably have a farmers market. That's right. And that's what I recommend. Like Tyra said, yeah. you're going to get the best stuff there. Another thing that you can do that I did when we were actually living in Minneapolis or when we lived in Minnesota. Um, I would do the CSA box. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, Yeah. because um, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Is that that right? That sounds right. We're going to go with that. I think so. I'll fact check that. (laughs) Um, But the, the CSA box allows you to buy a share of whatever a certain farm's crop is for that week. So each week you'll get whatever is in season for that week. And you're never going to really know what's in your box until that day. It's kind of exciting too, because you'll get interesting things. Like one year I got, or one week I got a a watermelon radish and and I got other things that I had never 
thought to use before. Yeah, the watermelon radish. It's funny, since I, there was a time before Jim made Italian American food for Sip and Feast. Mm -hmm. So I've been cooking my whole life, though technically I'm not a chef, right? I would love to experiment with everything. And then kind of I got a little bit more maybe boxed in since Sip and Feast has started. Like we eat Italian food all the time. And because I make it. So whatever I make for the site, we we have to eat, mm -hmm. obviously. So we made the Riso Al Forno. Delicious. Then we made the stuffed eggplant. Delicious. But, you know, and then everything else Tara was describing, those are the things we have. But I remember when we had the watermelon radish before I started doing this, and I think I made some type of, I don't know, it was a French dish maybe with it, or I can't, I can't remember. But it's fun to use those other types of it ingredients. Is. So if you can, if you can get a CSA share, that's another great way to get produce that doesn't suck. Yeah, the problem with the CSA box that we had, you can pick, I think, like a quarter box, half box, or mm -hmm. full box. A full box is a lot. So you gotta be you gotta ha you gotta know. I I, I kind of think you need to know how to cook. Because you're gonna be they're gonna people who don't really know how to cook are gonna be overwhelmed. You are gonna do. be like, what do I do with all this yes. uh, Swiss chard or so these leaks, you know? Well my my experience with the CSA box is the day that the box would be delivered they would send you an email and the email would explain what was going to be in the box that day, what you can do with the ingredients, and they would even give some recipes. That's a good idea. So it was a really, really good idea. It was very helpful because, yeah, I mean, if you're getting some of these more obscure- Esoteric. Eso that, is that a better word? I don't know. Oh. It sounded good. If you're getting some of these- I wish I had a better vocabulary. That's okay. If you're getting some of these ingredients that you're not familiar with, having a recipe to go along with it is helpful. And we hope we answered a little bit about if you're fed up with, we didn't really go into like how fed up you are with groceries. And um, I am fed up though. I, I, I think things got a lot worse these last three years. I, I, I mean, things have gotten worse for everybody these last three years, except for the real big businesses that were allowed to still operate, you know, during when all this happened. But for everybody else, and you know, I had a friend who owned owned a restaurant and other small businesses, yeah. And I think it really screwed up the food supply chains and the taste of everything. Either that or I don't have that, my taste isn't as good anymore. Because I I I, I mean, I guess this is another episode. The horrible chicken that is like it's every other pack you buy. And mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter if you buy the premium chicken. It's like the, it's called woody chicken. Never, never experienced that before the yeah. times. Maybe, maybe it's not chicken. They say you can like tell a little bit if you look in the pack, it'll, the lines will be, the grain will be thicker on the breast. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, you can, you can, I guess, fix some of these issues by growing your own stuff. Growing your Take own chicken. Take the power and, well, yeah, I mean, take the power into your own hands, you know, make, grow your vegetables at least. When you get more confident, then you move on to chickens. Yeah. Mike G has chickens. Mike G's got everything. He does. He does. That's awesome. No, he does have chickens. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of people with chickens around us. I, I hear, heard, I hear roosters in so the morning. The thing about them is they're, they're, they're a nuisance if you live too close to somebody, if they're, you know, 
you're waking your neighbors up very early. So, yeah. and the chickens themselves need to really be guarded and protected too from predators like raccoons, That's true. foxes. The chickens do eat ticks though. And ticks are a massive problem here on Long Island. But yeah. if you don't if you don't want ticks in your yard, chickens are good. Anyway, let's segue into some of the listener questions and I picked this one because it's perfect uh on point for for the topic we're talking about. So, this question comes from Jeremy and Jeremy says, I've never had a garden, but I'm looking into starting one in the near future and was wondering what got you into gardening and what tips you can give a newbie. I've done research on what to grow out here in Phoenix and what not to grow and some of the super basics that go with my climate, but not a ton past that. Watching you pick the fresh basil made me think, wow, such a beautiful little area and of course made me think I need my own basil too. Well, thanks for the question, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, we, we sh we've been showing that basil, th those pots in, in the videos lately. I should really show also the, the main garden, which is further back, but yeah, I keep my herbs close. So I have very quick access to them. I also ha have cherry tomatoes that are right outside my back door. They're like three feet away and jalapeno peppers because those are things that I use. As far as what uh, I use, like where I only need like one or two of them, or like say we're making a salad, go, you know, go grab 12 cherry tomatoes, something like that. What got me into gardening? It's funny, I've been kind of been doing it my whole life. Again, I guess we'll just keep talking about Mike G in this episode, but he, he asked me for pictures for that episode, mm -hmm. for the YouTube video. He wanted a picture with my mom or my grandma, um, and I found some that when I was in the garden, like by the eggplants, mm -hmm. So I feel like I've been around it my whole life, and I've always been in, I've always been interested in food, and co like cooking, and and then yeah, I was always I was always helping in that garden, and I, I always looked at it like something that I guess I knew I was going to have it even when I was I was like a weird individual, like uh, some of my friends, <laughs> some of my friends from college. They know me in a very different way than I guess than how I really am. And, uh, you know, like I, it's not that I was like trying to be a different person in college, but I definitely like didn't tell them everything I liked. Like it wasn't like, hey, guys, let's let's do some gardening, you know, like like it would just <laughs> they would have been like, huh? Like I was in a fraternity with like these like some of them were smart, you know, <laughs> some, some of them were like, but it wasn't. There were, there were nobody was in, I felt like nobody was into the things that I was into. Well, they were probably all suppressing what they really were interested in. I mean, it's college; you're putting up a front for everybody. I had this friend; he was a close friend of mine. I don't I don't speak to him anymore, but Tara Tara might you know I don't know if you'll know who I'm talking about now. But uh, this was when we were out of college, so we were probably out of college for three years, four years. So I was probably like 25, and I said to him, I said. I said, you want to go out to eat? Let's go out to eat. And he's like, he's like, Jim, why the hell would I want to go out to eat? And I was just like, I just thought to myself there at that point, I'm like, what do you want? Do you just want to keep going to bars? Like, and just, I don't know, just being a dumbass forever? Like, and, and you know, honestly, that kind of got me away from a lot of those guys where I just like stopped hanging out with them. And everybody advances at different rates. But yeah, I was, I, I had a garden when, for 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 years when they were still you know not thinking about that and some of them might be into it now 
But yeah, the answer to your question, I don't know. It's just always been a part of me. I always wanted to do it. I I, I always I always liked food. Mm-hmm. I I really like those restaurants we go to when 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 they have like when they grow their own stuff, like the farm to table, mm-hmm. like the old um the old kitchen uh that was that's now what Pietro's in yeah in, yeah this is in St James for for you people it who used know to the be area Kitchen a Bistro it was the original kitchen Kitchen a Bistro which which prior to that was Mirabella Mirabella now is a is is a different place but but it was the original Mirabella then Kitchen bought it probably this is over twenty years ago this is one of the best restaurants in all of Long Island I've been to so many places and I've had so many bad experiences too. Uh, but there's only a few places that I we would have like really good experiences, like consistent good experiences. It's so hard to find, so hard to find. But they did. They had uh, their garden and they did farm to table. They did. Just amazing. I can respect that. Yeah, you know, definitely. So, can you answer the second part of Jeremy's question? Yeah. Do you have advice for a newbie? Yeah. So, Jeremy, I would take it slow. I would go like year one. Let's say I would. Figure out what you want to grow, and then I, I, you know what it is when you go to like Home Depot and you see that there is two hundred vegetables they have. You think to yourself, "I'm going to get this one and this one and that one and and this." And and then you know, before you know it, you have like, you just got too much. You got to focus. Think about what's going to be the best for your family, what you're going to use the most in your own cooking. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be different per per person. It really will be, but. I always like to say, go with the big four, you know, the big the big four for Italian Italian cooking. And it doesn't matter if it's Italian cooking in Italy or America. It's peppers, tomatoes, eggplant. Zucchini. Zucchini. And that's it. I mean, this isn't just for Italian cooking. This is for any cooking. They're so versatile. Mm-hmm. You can do everything with them. So the reason I exclude like the potatoes and the carrots and celery, you can get that stuff very cheap in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. All year round. And they can last longer. And they last longer mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. So that's my advice to you. I say start with one raised bed. I would say there's a couple good, there's a, not a couple, there's a lot of good gardening channels on YouTube. There's this guy, and I'm saying his name wrong, is James Pen- Pegrioni or Pen, I'm, I'm definitely saying it wrong, but um, he's from New Jersey and he has such good info. Um, I subscribe to his channel and just- I would watch him and you can learn so much and you know, you'll watch him and you'll see like, he's got so many raised beds and everything. And, but you know, take it slow one year, get it done. Second year is when you're going to go harder. Year three is when your wife's going to be like, Jeremy, this is really impressive. Like Mm -hmm. now, now we're using a lot of the produce and then you can get into canning and all that. And that's a whole nother category. And then you can start saving your produce into the winter months. Okay, so this next question came from Robert. And Robert said, if someone was in Long Island for the day, where is one restaurant that you would say is a must to visit? Okay, great question, Robert. Um, I will say the best, it's 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 our best restaurant, especially I'm gonna say for Italian food, okay? Because I think that's probably what you're asking. It is Trattoria, the Trattoria in St. James. It's... And a really, really amazing experience. Had one bad meal there in my life, and we've probably been there, I would say, over 30 times, Tara, right? Probably in the 20 years. We've been there more than 30 times, I would say. And, you know, that one experience, 
I, I don't know. I think it was a, they were off that it was an off night and the the chef who was also the owner, he was not there. Um, which you know when you know when he's there because he makes it a point to come to every single person's table and ask how their food is. So he was not there that night. And that was a long time ago. The food's amazing. So I'll just I'm just gonna tell you what we had the other night. This'll this'll set it up better for you. So and we went there for for our daughter's uh, birthday. So for appetizer, we had Tara. Can you help me out here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had it was uh, arancini with fresh corn, and then there was also um, a flatbread. That well, the had, orange the arancini was stuffed with uh, cacciavallo, right? And it was sweet corn. So mm-hmm. it, he's using again, like what is in season. That's right. And then the flatbread had. Figs um, and bacon. Figs and, yeah, pancetta or something like that. Yeah. Everything there is is fantastic. And I think any of the appetizers we could have chosen would have been would have been great. They change their menu yeah. all the time. There's a few items that stay on the menu that are always there. Yeah. But for the most part, they're they're changing based on the seasons. Like their carbonara, amitriciana, um, they have a black squid ink with spicy calamari. Those are kind of staples that are always there. For the pastas, and we the way we order there is we get those appetizers, then we get little pastas. So they you can get a small plate or a big plate of pasta, but we do the little plates. So we got a little plate of the most amazing short rib ravioli, and he made the raviolis from scratch. And the broth, this broth that it was in, it was insane. And I kind of wish I ordered a, like a full size just for myself. Then then he did a kale sauce pasta with uh, stracciatella, which is the inside of. Burrata. Of burrata and with like seasoned breadcrumbs on top. So it was mm-hmm. like a green rigatoni almost. And then the other pasta was what? We did get the squid ink pasta again because the we get ink. that we get that every time. And it's delicious. Spicy squid ink, really, really good. Those, you know, but any pasta you get there is amazing. And then for the entree, I had, um, I had eggplant parm, but, you know, he does it really, really nice. It was about 10 layers of very thin eggplant uh, with a nice sauce. It's it's just you know I just wanted something simple, Tara. You got something simple too, right? I got a pork loin and it was fantastic. Um, it came with a peach type of like grilled sauce, peaches, grilled yeah. peaches, and the kids both got the brisado. Brisado with a uh, polenta, so it was a beautiful piece uh, of beef uh, braised in red wine with polenta. But that restaurant and I've. I've been to all of them, guys. Not all of them. I mean, I haven't been. I haven't been to Via Carota. You've been to Via Carota. Yes. So that's a let's. That's a great one. Trotteria is better. Trotteria is better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Esca still there anymore? That place. I don't think so. That okay. was Mario Batali. Okay. So I'm trying to think of Italian places in the city that people might have been to that they would know. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously everybody's been to Carmine's, which this is not. That's not the same. Carmine's is just a family style. Um, you know. I don't even know if Il Giglio is still there anymore. I don't know, and but but I would say that the the place that's most similar to the Trattoria would be Via Carota. Via Carota, they're very similar. So there's a place Osteria Umbra that's right here too, and it's very very expensive, and it's a great place too. We you know it, it, Trattoria is better. It it just is. That's just my opinion. Okay. Other people will disagree with me, but when you're paying double the price, your opinion will often be different because you have to justify that double the price. Trattoria is not cheap either. Nothing is cheap anymore. That's part of the problem. Like, nothing's cheap. But the good thing about Trattoria is that you can bring your own 
wine and it's yeah. like a very small corkage yeah fee. originally they had no liquor license so that was always the allure of the place you bring your own wine stuff like mm -hmm. that listen guys i'm not carrying water for them they don't you know i i'm there's no financial incentive at all for me to recommend the place to you honestly i don't even want to i don't even know why i'm recommending it because now people are going to want to go there and it's going to be harder to get a reservation <laughs> You know, uh, which we do have a reservation for uh, your birthday. For my birthday. Yeah. So that's the only Italian restaurant, really, that we go to anymore um, because I'm making it all the food all the time. So then, so when we go out, we will do sushi or we'll do like a churrasco um, or steakhouse. Yeah. 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 I will give a shout out to our sushi place. So the sushi place we go to is Domo. It's a husband and wife, and uh, they don't have any social presence, which I find I find just so. So great. Like, I'm so glad that, <laughs> that they do that. Yeah. Like, it's like they're, you know, they're younger than us. And they're, they're just like, eh, I don't want to yeah. do it. <laughs> they're awesome. I, they're so great. I yeah. love them. That's a good place. Yeah. It is. All right. So next question and last question. This comes from Mary. Has Jim ever made pulled pork? If so, how? I know he said something once about he was being on a barbecue kick. And my husband's all about barbecue. So I'd love to see Yankee barbecue sometime. Okay. Oh, well, thanks for your question, Mary. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been smoking barbecue and all that for probably as long as I've been cooking. Well, not as long as I've been cooking, but over 20 years. Uh, I've had about five different smokers in my life right. uh, that we've gone through. Right now I have a very simple smoker. It's called a pit barrel smoker. So it's kind of a barrel smoker. But I've had your standard smokers with the basket to the side, uh, you know, for your coal and everything. And, uh, no, I've, I was, a, am very much into smoking and barbecuing. I just, I don't put it on the channel because the channel is, it's kind of, it's niche focused with the Italian American food. I, 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 look, I'm, I consider myself able to cook all food. I'm not a sushi chef, obviously. I'm not going to, you know, break down a tuna for somebody on, on, on a YouTube video or, or, um, or tell you every single part of the cow, you know, as I, you know, I'm not a butcher. So, but I've been doing all this for a long time and I enjoy it and I enjoy barbecue. I love it. Barbecue, Mary, does not do well in Long Island ever, ever. We had a place that opened right next to us um, and the guy owns about six restaurants. He, he just shut it down. Shut, well, shut it down about six months ago. It's just I, I, the people here in Long Island, and I, you know, there's a little, you know, I'm generalizing, I guess, but there's not enough of them to keep the places going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a shame because barbecue really is fantastic. You know, I've done pulled pork, pork butts, dozens of times, ribs. I consider myself really uh, well, you know, seasoned when it comes to trimming ribs properly and removing the membrane and having, you know, I make my rub and smoking and getting a good smoke ring. And yeah, I mean, I'm it, part of the reason, Mary, why I don't put those videos on is because I know if I do, you jo you're jokingly calling me a Yankee, but there will be a billion people in the comments telling me I don't know what I'm doing because I'm, because I live in New York. I, and that's like kind of like, I mean, I get enough of those comments from people in Italy. I, I mean, God, like it's like, I, I can't think of anything more pathetic than somebody in Italy, like trying to find an American cooking Italian American food and then telling them what they're doing wrong. That would be like, like, yeah, no, I don't think there's anything more pathetic than that. So uh, it's, it, there, there just isn't, which leads me to believe that most of the people that purport to be in Italy are not. 
I think they're just like some schmuck in their mom's basement in New Jersey or something. You know, <laughs> that that's what I think. <laughs> Nobody's and you guys don't see these comments or know anything about them because often, you know, we end up having to delete them because, you know, then after that, they'll proceed to tell like 10, 10 curse words to me and about how I'm the worst cook ever and that I should die immediately, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So, so when you do make pulled pork, how would, how did you make it? So pulled pork, um, sometimes I would do the full, you know, both, both sides, uh, you know, which is, you know, what is it, the picnic and the Boston butt, right? Mm -hmm. I'm probably screwing that up, but, um, often Mary, I mean, we don't need 16 pounds of pulled pork. So I would typically use just one side of it. And then I would do the long smoke and often that would go overnight, you know, if I didn't plan accordingly, if I got started mm -hmm. late that day. So sometimes I would have to take it, finish it in the oven, but no, I would get it to the point of complete breakdown, you know, the 210 degrees or whatever, you know, get all the collagen to break down. I mean, cooking's cooking. That's the thing. Like if you know how to cook in one, one cuisine, you cook in the other, it's, there's not... There's not much there to it, but I know barbecue people take their barbecue extremely yeah. seriously. And you would make the mustard slaw to go with- Mustard slaw, yeah. The pulled pork. Well, I would always try to, whenever I would do something, mm -hmm. I would always try to honor where it's from. Right. So like, I mean, I think we spoke about it in a previous podcast. I was on a Thai curry kick and I was making the curries from scratch. So mm -hmm. like, this is like before Amazon even, I was ordering gal and gal and kaffa lime leaves and- um, all these ingredients, I was ordering them from like eBay, from like sellers in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And I was having them brought to me and then I would make them and I was trying to make it better than the Thai restaurants around here. Little did I know that all the Thai restaurants, whether here or in the city, they're not making their curry paste to begin with. They're just using those cans in that are- A lot of them do, yeah. That come from Thailand, yeah. That's right, yeah. that's right. So <clears throat> Mary, thanks for that question. And Mary, Mary emails us, Every now and then. Oh, really? And I always enjoy her her emails. She seems like she's got like a little bit of a, like a edge, like she's a little sarcastic. Oh. Like I, I think if like she lived around here, we could be friends. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that makes it even better, Mary. Really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Tara's the one who responds to the emails. Yep. So leave us your questions at podcast at sipandfeast.com and we'll see you next time.